You know, it's nice to see everyone dressed up at church. I'm not used to that. I feel kind of underdressed and awkward right now. Kind of nakedness, nakedness. But uh, it, is, uh, it is great uh, to hear. You know, it was amazing last week. I had the, the privilege uh, at the barbecue to talk to a number of people I had, I had never met before and just hear amazing stories about what God has been doing in their families, in their lives. I mean, people literally, Horn, are you in a suit? Huh? Good. I can't see because Susan's head's right. Okay. That's, oh my goodness. He's getting married in a few, you know, about a month or so. He's starting to, he's starting to, yeah. It's like a form of foreplay for you. Like getting ready for the marriage. Dressing up. Looking nice for Haley. I understand. Right there. Across the boundary. Easter service. We're done. Where's Graham? Graham's just back. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Lots of weddings coming up. Good times. But it was, it's amazing to hear all of the things and the stories of uh, what, what God's doing at River City Church. And, um, you know, I just, last week I was just amazed at the amount of people that were there you know, waiting in a 45-minute line to get a hamburger or a hot dog. And uh, it was just amazing to see how God has pulled us together as a family, the things that God is doing in our little family and in our church and the people he's reaching and growing. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, um, and it would be easy, uh, you would think, for a pastor of a church like that to come up with a good Easter morning message on the resurrection and the life that comes at, uh, as a result of the resurrection. However, I've not done that this morning. I want to talk about Good Friday. It's more of a talk like Good Friday talk because I think to understand the power of the resurrection and to value the testimonies, to value really what Christ has done on the cross, uh, what Christ has done in the resurrection and bringing us new life, we have to understand correctly what, what happened on the cross. We have to understand you know, what did Jesus finish? In those famous three words, it is finished. What did he complete? I mean, what was done that makes the resurrection significant or that makes life as a Christian significant? What do we have to stop doing? What are we done with that he's completed? Because in order, in, in, unless we understand that, the resurrection really is just, you know, good news without understanding the bad news. And the bad news of what we were caught up in. You know, Jason's testimony, which what a great, what a great word picture. You know, bottom line, folks, is something that uh, gets me through the day often is just the reality that God's love is bigger than my mess. That, and that's what the cross is about. That's what was finished. That's the reality, that my mess is no longer what determines how I interact with God, that God's bigger than that. All of a sudden, things have changed. Something's different. Something happened when Jesus said, it is finished, and things will never be the same again. So I want to start with that scripture today. In John 19, 28 to 30, it says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And again, these are the words that 
Usually ministers preach and talk about on Good Friday because that's when they were said. However, if we want to move forward as Christians who are empowered by the cross, as people who live not with the cross or in the shadow of the cross, but live in the light of what Christ has done for us, we have to understand what these words mean. It is finished. And I was emailing out, I was talking to, Laura came home this week from uh, hearing how to hear God's voice Bible study, and she was talking about it is finished, and um, talking about that what, what uh, Mark Berkler was teaching about. So I emailed um, Teresa, and I said, hey, Laura came home, she's really excited about this, she can remember about one-tenth of what he taught on. Can you give me a picture of like, what was he talking about when he said it was finished? You know, where, what did Jesus actually finish that allows us to live in this new life as a Christian? And this is what Teresa wrote back. It was a great quote I have on the PowerPoint. I want you to kind of follow me through it. And I've added a little to it so that we understand because it really sets us up for the rest of the talk. So what Jesus finished was what was necessary to satisfy God's justice, his perfect sacrifice, and restore us back to relationship with God, which was his original intention, so that we can have freedom from our sins and have abundant life now based on what Jesus has done for us versus living by the law and principles or rules and religion. Isn't that a great quote? That, that really sums up in a very untheological sounding nutshell what Jesus finished on the cross. And this is, and this is I want to break it down a little bit to help us understand that this is what Jesus finished. This is what was necessary to satisfy God's justice. And we read in Romans three twenty-two to 24, that there is no distinction, and this is Paul speaking to the Roman church, that there is no distinction who were very religious, that there is no distinction, for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is what God originally intended for you and I to be, and that is in perfect relationship with him. And we all fell short of that. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of that reality. But, and it says, and we are justified by his grace, by what Jesus has done as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Okay? So again, like that's what the Bible says about what I just said. That's how God satisfied the justice that was required that in Jesus Christ that we've been covered. And then in Romans 6.23, it says this, For the wage of sin is death. Okay? Here's the reality, folks, that your life, the mess that is your life, there's a consequence or a price that has to be paid for that. The cost of your life physically, spiritually, and emotionally. The consequence is death, or the wages death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ, Jesus our Lord. So what was once impossible, a relationship with God, communion with God, being with God, because of our separation with God, has been finished. The effort that we've been making, that we have been trying to make, I gotta get it together, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta sacrifice a lamb, I gotta sacrifice a dove, I gotta sacrifice a ram, I gotta sacrifice this. Because there has to be death in order for sin to be dealt with. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, as Hebrews says, he is the perfect, the complete sacrifice, was sacrificed for us as a gift so that we are back as we were always intended to be, like it was in Genesis, before things got jacked up and screwed up because of our sin, we are back with God. And that's what happened at the cross. That's what was finished on the cross. That's the basic gospel presentation. And if you're here today, and that's new information for you, you've thought your whole life, 
Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I always feel tired. I always feel like I'm working to gain God's approval. I always feel like I just never measure up. There's always people better than me. I don't have the right clothes to wear at church, so I don't go to church. I don't fit in at church. I don't feel like I'm really a Christian. I'm not a good Christian. Well, there's no such thing as good Christians. There are those who follow Jesus, who God's made it possible for, and there are those who choose not to. But I am not a better Christian than anybody in here who follows Jesus. We are the same. And the lies that you've believed demonstrate, if that's how you feel, like I just talked about, that's you making an effort to connect with God, not acknowledging what Jesus has done for you. Because when you acknowledge the gift that Jesus has given you, you're back, you're with him, you're homeboys again. It's like in Genesis, you're together. And, and I was thinking about an analogy of... Um, you know, of, of what this would look like. And it was real simple. And if I would have thought ahead of time, which I knew I wouldn't, I need to become like a master carpenter so I can build things really quickly. But, um, you know, it would be like there was a door here, okay? And this is, you know, and on the other side is God. And the whole, all through history, the nation of Israel and the, and the history of mankind, we have been beating on this door, trying to beat this door down. And just God's on the other side. We know God's on the other side. And we're beating this door down. We're beating this door down. And Jesus comes to the cross. He's the perfect sacrifice. And he simply walks over and he opens the door. And now the opportunity for us to be with God is freely available for all who choose to follow Jesus. Jesus is the only person in history that has dealt with our sin. He's the only one. He's the only God in history who has dealt with this barrier between us and the Father. He's the only one who's dissolved it. And so, again, what Romans is talking about here is, look, we have this barrier. You're screwed. You can't do anything about it. Sorry, I didn't say that word again. There's a few people that offend, but too bad. So he opens the door. You know, we are in a bad place, jacked up. Jesus comes and opens the door, and we're right again. We're good. Things are good with us and God if we choose to come through Jesus, the complete and perfect sacrifice. Understand? So that's what was finished. The door has been opened once and for all for you, for me, for any of us who want to be in relationship with God, who want abundant life now, who are tired of striving, who are tired of making an effort, who are exhausted, who feel restless and, you know, like, gosh, is there more to life? Jesus is like, yep, here it is, baby. Come on. I've done it for you. You don't got to take a bath to get cleaned up. I'll clean you up. Don't, just come on. And so that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, it is finished. It is finished, once and for all. Relationship with God is there for you. Paul takes it another step, though, because what I want to talk about today is what is our response on this side of the door with the information that it is finished. And Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 10. And this is another great verse that kind of captures the gospel in one one quick message. It says, For by grace, as a result of what God has given you that you don't deserve, Jesus, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Nothing in your effort. You can't make this happen. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we 
should walk in them. And so Paul adds to the why God did it this way. And Paul tells us here, the reason that God did it this way so that no one could, so that no one could boast, so that no one could brag, is because he wants all the glory. He wants all the attention. He wants you to know and the world to know that he is the author of salvation. That there won't be people in heaven who are like walking around and be going like, yeah, I'm here because I chose God. You know, I'm here because, you know, I kind of worked really hard. I got, you know, nine of the Ten Commandments about 80% of the time. So here I am, baby. You know, worship me a little bit along with God. There's none of that. There will be no one in heaven walking around talking about or saying that they chose to be there. Or that somehow they earned being there. God wants the glory so that no one can boast. It's the same reason you see God winning wars in the Old Testament with, like, horns. What's up with that? I guess go take out these, uh, you know, these, like, you know, these, like, major Assyrian Babylonian armies of hundreds of thousands of men. Get your horn and your rake and your plow. Come on. You know, and God's just all through the Old Testament. He's like whittling away, taking numbers from hundreds of thousands to 300 men and going and destroying these massive nations. Why? Because God loves himself. He loves himself. He wants the glory. He deserves the glory. He's the creator. And the same is true with Christ and our salvation and us coming to him. He wants our lives to reflect his glory, mainly because we can't handle it. We can't handle the attention anyway. We just can't. We get all cocky and all messed up and thinking we're, you know, yeah, at least I do. And so no one can boast because it's for his glory. But secondly, he did it because we are his workmanship. We are crafted by him to do these things for his glory that have been prepared before the world, and he expects for us to walk in them. And so we've been given this gift. The door has been opened. Jesus says, it is finished. I'm finished. It is finished. The door is open for you. And we stand on the other side of the door, and God's like, and the reason I've opened the door, the reason I'm finally, I'm excited about being in front of you is because I've created you special I've made you unlike any other person. And not only have I made you unique in my image, but I've made things for you to do that no one else can do. And when you choose to do them, there's something about what you do and how you do it and the fact that you're doing it that brings me worship, that glorifies me. And, and, and I can have other people do it, Antley, but no one can do it the way I've made you to do it. Because I made it especially for you, just for you to do. And that's what God's saying on this side of the door. And you know what we're doing? We're like, it is finished, it is finished, it is finished, it is finished. I got nothing to do. That's how we act as Christians. Like, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Party! You know what I mean? It's like, we're, we're, on, we're on this side of the door, and we're like doing Jesus' battle cry. Like, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished. Yeah, the door's open, but God's like, well, you ain't done. You're not done. It's like you're just beginning. But we hear these words, it is finished, and we live like, as Christians often, or as people who seek to believe the right things, as we're finished. Like, I'm done. Race is over. I'm in the door. When actually, all that Jesus did was so that we can begin. 
Everything that Jesus did in finishing what his assignment was, was so that we could begin what our, discover what ours is by hearing his voice. You know, I think that Jesus, you know, I'm sure he said exactly what he's supposed to say. But if it was me, I would have added, I would have added three other words. He said three words, it is finished. But I think if he added these other three famous words, I think these words might be more famous than Jesus' words. Imagine Jesus on the cross, and he's like, it is finished. And he like lays his head down, and then he sticks his head back and goes, I'll be back. <laughs> and then he like puts his head down. I mean... How awesome would that have been for us on the cross? I'll be back. And then you're like, oh boy, better get busy. Jesus is coming back. And I know, I know that he talks about coming back. I know that there's parables about being prepared for when the master returns and all these things. But there's something powerful on the cross that when we hear the words of the cross, you know, the seven phrases of the cross, I'm like, God, why couldn't there have been eight? I'll be back would have been a great eighth phrase for the cross language, the cross sequence. I just, I'm just thinking that. I just think that we would have lived differently as Christians if that little, those three little words would have been tacked on. It is finished, but I'll be back. That's the title of the sermon. And I just think it's a good idea. God, come on. But um, we would live differently, probably more like we should. Probably more like we should because so many of us, when we look at the cross and we look at what Jesus has done for us and we read those words, powerful words, it is finished. I'm not taking anything away from those words. We are thankful. We're gracious. We are in awe. We are blessed. We are forgiven. And there's a sense of relationship that's established there that is unique. But it's not really a place of power for us in terms of the power we now have to go and do now what what we have been given to finish. You see, the cross, when we look at the cross and we hear the words, it is finished, what we should hear is, I have finished so that you can begin to finish what you've been given to finish while you're here. The cross is a place of power, not only of door-opening power, but of life-giving power, of relationship power that should drive us into the world to continue what Jesus did and to figure out and to hear what we're supposed to do. Because before the door was open, we couldn't. And we had to live under the law. We had to live under the rules and regulations. And remember, what that talks about, what the Bible talks about is Jesus being done with that. No more rules and regulations. That you are led now by my voice. You know, one day, one day, all of us, the end of your life will be dying. You'll be laying down, getting ready to die. And whether or not you say it verbally, in your spirit, you will say, it is finished. It is finished. You will. And at that point... You will be done. You'll die. And you'll be done doing what God has set aside for you to do on earth. Won't you? Every one of us. That's going to happen. Every one of us. 
we'll find ourselves before God having said the words, it is finished. I'm done. And you die and you can't do anymore. You cannot do anything after that point. The question is, will I have done what he's required of me? Will I have done what he's asked for me to do? And now I'm not trying to guilt people. You know that I'm not doing that. I'm not trying to do that. If you feel guilty, that's not me. Okay? That's you. So I feel guilty about that. But, um, and, and, and your response should be, well, Antley, how do I know what to do? How, how, how can I possibly know what God wants me to do? There's no shortcut, folks. But there's also no excuse. The only way you can know what God has for you to do is by standing at the open door and talking to God about it. Asking him, what do you have for me to do today? What is it that isn't finished today that you've created before the creation of the world for me to do that is unique to Antley? That when I do it, you get a skip in your step. You get excited. You get fired up. You dance and sing in heaven. That I bring you worship and bless you. There's no way to know what that is except by listening and being led by God. There's no way. But remember, the promise we started with was, why did Jesus finish what he began? Why was Jesus obedient? To open the door so we can know what to do. Why? To glorify him. But the door is open. The opportunity is there. Well, Antley, you know, I... uh. I just read the Bible, and the Bible is my instruction. The Bible is what tells me to do. And you're right. You should be reading the Bible. God speaks through the Bible. But the Bible tells us what to do in a universal sense, what every Christian should be doing, but not in a specific sense, not in an intimate sense, not in a sense. We could have had the Bible and the door stayed closed, couldn't we? We could have been given Scripture, like the Jews, and the door was still closed. And we could, but without the door open, we're living under religion. We're living under rules. The Bible becomes, becomes something that is a bunch of rules for us to follow, as opposed to a tool that God uses to lead us in our life. And the only way that this makes sense is if you believe that there are special things that God has set aside for you to do. Things, again, that when you do them, will bring him glory. The problem is that many of us allow other people, what God has told other people, to determine what we think we should be doing. Or we read what other people are doing and have justified with Scripture, and we avoid the open-door conversation. And that's a real, I mean, I, I, I can acknowledge that that's a struggle, that it can be awkward standing before God saying, you know, is he going to talk to me? Does he want to talk to me? Does he love me? Does he hear me? Is he really there? Because all of a sudden, everything you believe about God is put into practice, isn't it? It's either true or it's not. You're either going to hear him or you're not. It's real. But many of us look at what other people are doing, what God has told other people, and we think we should be doing it. And that's like living under rules and regulations again because we haven't heard that from God. Because so-and-so does a ministry on McDuff Street doesn't mean that you're supposed to. Because so-and-so goes on mission trips to Cuba doesn't mean that that's what God wants you to do. 
Because so-and-so is in this small group or leads this small group or does this ministry or helps with this doesn't mean that that's what God wants you to do. But you think it is because you feel guilty. You think it is because you haven't heard from God. You haven't gone to the open door and you haven't listened. You haven't allowed him to lead you. So many of us feel guilty. So many of us walk through our Christian life feeling guilty for what God has told other people to do. So many of us looking to the Christian world, we see what's happening and we just feel guilty because we go, I'll never be that. I could never do that or I'm not doing that. And God's like, yeah, because I haven't told you to, idiot. He probably wouldn't say idiot, but he might in a loving way. And we feel that guilty. There's others of you who have a chip on your shoulder. And you've made other people feel guilty because of what God's told you to do. And you think it's what he's told them to do or they should be doing it. You all know the type. They talk to you about like what God's doing in their ministry and you feel like, and they quote scriptures about what you should be doing. That God's told us in a universal sense that we should be about in a universal sense. But because you haven't heard from God, you feel guilty about it. And we like to leverage that against people because it makes us feel better as individuals and as people. Because, again, and what that's doing, we all know, it's taking glory away from God. It's making us look good. It creates a hierarchy in the church. The anointed ones in the body. The spiritual ones in the body. That's why everybody gets to pray. Everybody gets to play at River City Church. Because everyone has been created, been created unique, different, powerful, called for something specific. And we can end up using the Bible as an easy way out of dealing with God directly. The Bible, again, is only a window that should lead, when open, should lead us into a deeper love relationship with the Father. It's a tool the Holy Spirit uses to help us hear him, to help us be led by him. You know, and again, we are just like Jesus. We have a specific mission to accomplish while we're here on earth. And the scripture should help us on our journey, like it did Jesus. But ultimately, it was only God's voice in Jesus' life. It was only Jesus doing exactly what the Father wanted him to do that allowed him to accomplish his mission and to have freedom be obedient, but also have freedom. And we read this in Luke. Just, here's, an, here's a quick example. It's, I could give you tons of examples like this where Jesus uses Scripture to guide him, but not to define him, to not, you know, to, to, to not as a rule or regulation in his life, but in a general sense, he's led by the prophecies about him. But then what he specifically does is based on what he hears the Father telling him to do. Luke 4, you always hear me talk about the scriptures. My favorite one, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is when Jesus starts his ministry. And he says, and it, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Those were words prophesied in Isaiah about what the Messiah would do when he came. In a general sense. This is what you will see happening when the kingdom of God comes. When the Messiah comes, these things will begin. But exactly 
who Jesus set free, exactly who he healed, the captives he released, the demons he cast out of people, those specifics while he was on earth did not come from scripture. It came from being led by his father. It came from hearing his father's voice. That's the only way he could have known. I mean, he even tells us, I only do what I see the father doing. It is finished. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, when you hear those words, it is finished. No, you're not. What do you mean you're finished? You said you were going to free the captives and do this to the poor and heal this and heal that. And There's still sick people, Jesus. You're not done. There's still people who are oppressed. How can you be finished? There's still people who haven't heard the gospel. How can you say you're finished if you said you were going to come and do these things? You said it. How can it be finished? Because he was being led by Scripture in a general sense, prophesied over him in his life, but being led by God in a specific sense about exactly who, what, when, and how his mission would play out. And the door for Jesus was open. And that's how he heard the Father's voice, by spending time with him, by listening to him, and being led by him, so that when he's on the cross, was there any wonder that he was finished? Do you think there was any question in his mind that the people he didn't heal, his father released him from, the people who were still oppressed, that his father had a plan for, that's the only way he could say those words, is if the father told him, you're done, you're done, you've done everything I've asked of you, it is finished. That's the only way, that's the only way it could have happened. So Jesus says, I'm finished, but you're not. None of us are. None of us are finished. We've just begun. And the only way, only way we will know what we are to do is to come to the open door that Jesus has opened for us to hear the Father's voice, to lead us every day into what our mission is, what our specifics are, what are the things that God has for us to do. And we should every day. We should wake up and come to the door. That should be a visual. You get out of bed, you come to the door like, all right, what am I supposed to do today? What, am I, what is it? What do you have for me today that will bring you glory? What is it that you've created for Antley today that will bring you glory, that will cause you happiness and blessing that no one else can do but me? I mean, each of us uniquely crafted in his image with his hands, knit together, for these purposes. It is finished. But he'll be back. And there are still lots of sick people around us. There are still lots of people that are oppressed. There are still lots of people who are poor. There are still lots of people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That the door has been opened for you. And the same door that has been opened for you, you are called to bring people to so that in their life it can be finished and the relationship with God can be restored. But there are lots of people who need to hear that message. Let's stand. We're going to end with a song. But I want this Easter to be a time where we are encouraged by the cross 
as a source of power that will lead us to a reality. Yes, the door has been opened once and for all. It is finished once and for all. But so that we can bring other people to the door that Christ has opened for us so that they can find life to the full. They can find blessing and freedom from the rules and regulations of this world and of religion. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given us. We thank you for all that you're doing in our life to show the world that you're alive and that you love us and that you want to bring us freedom from religion. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come now to fill this room and to fill our life with that hope and opportunity. The cross would be a place of power for us that would send us into the world. We welcome you, Lord. We thank you for the cross, Jesus.